Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ah, live from the gleaming Streamline Studios of OutlawRadioLive.com. Following program, True Crime Uncensored, produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear. Fact checker, Mark C.G. Boyer is here. And on the phone, the brilliant and talented Matthew Watts. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Burl. How I are you? Better and better every day in every way. In case you don't know who Matthew Watts is, you've ever watched such exciting programs as Swamp People? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, or uh, Urban Tarzan. Or <laughs> or if you watch any of the great epic mystery programs on uh, ID, including A Taste for Murder featuring Burl Bear and Frank Zituato Jr., uh, Killer Siblings, if you watched the debut episode of last season, first one was uh, about the Alaska mail bomb conspiracy, and gee, I showed up on that one looking like death warmed over, because I was. <laughs> I just got out of the hospital for that one. But, uh, you looked great. You recuperated well for that one. Thank you. Yeah, well, it was my pleasure to do the show and my pleasure to get paid, and we had a wonderful time, all things considered. <laughs> But your your, yeah. career, your career absolutely astounds me. I was we actually printed out and we're holding up to the microphone so the viewers at home can see it. Uh, <laughs> your amazing resume, guy. You've done a hell of a lot of work. By now you should be rich enough to retire. But then again, this is show business. <laughs> and he spent it. Yeah. Yeah. And, he's, and this is Los Angeles. Yeah. <clears throat> the Urban Tarzan was really fun. That was a good one. That was like a. Um, we, it was a scripted it was kind of a reality fake fake reality scripted show about an animal handler uh, pretty wacky it was on Spike TV and, and you should Google some of the or YouTube some of the shows they were Chimp with a Gun was one of the episodes Chimp with a Gun? <laughs> yeah Chimp with a Gun an older family had been raising a chimp as their own child and, and the chimp became an adolescent and started getting unruly and uh, found, found the gun in the dad's uh, nightstand and they, they called Urban Tarzan to save the day. You know, that kind of, those are the kind of adventures that he was getting up to. So someone would make this stuff up, or was it kind of like based on real things? You know, yeah. our, our little secret. This is pretty much all made up. I mean, it, we, we pretended it was real, but I think there was one, we did bear in a car, and uh, <laughs> it, it, the, the, the bear put the car in neutral and started driving down the hill. And, and that may have been based in some reality. Now, what about and, Swamp People or whatever the hell that was? Yeah, Swamp People, that was a big hit for History Channel, and that was about alligator hunters. Uh, that was, And again, that was a real, they were real alligator hunters um, but you know the show was produced and we made it seem like it was a lot more dangerous than it was um, alligator hunting is actually like fishing and you hang lines and then get the gators take the bait and then it, it, you know the next morning you come and put a bullet in their head and pull them into the boat it's, it's not very difficult but you made it look um, like it was the, the alligators were doing the hunting. Exactly, yeah. And it, be, and it became a became a huge hit. You know, I've had some fun. I've been doing a lot of these true crime shows, as, as you know, and uh, and thank you for your help on, on them. Uh, unfortunately, we did one this season that is being shelved currently. It originally was going to be on tonight, that meaning the 20th, what, say, 23rd? Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's why, I'm, that's, that's why I'm here today. It was on tonight at 6 p.m. on Oxygen. I think they'll just play a different episode. Um, I find it fascinating over the years doing this show, the number of, of roadblocks to to completion. And this particular uh, roadblock I find fascinating. You know, uh, it's 
it's interesting because, you know, as Burrell said, I've been doing this for a while now, and there are often times people, uh, they try to stop the show from being made, you know, it's either a family member of a, a suspect or a, a family member of a victim or a friend or, or a detective, uh, but for the most part, I feel like almost everyone involved in these stories wants them to be told and is okay with it. And, you know, we do everything legally correct and proper, and we can air, you know, we don't make the shows. It wouldn't be a, a, a good business strategy if people said they didn't want you to do the show and then you couldn't do it. You know, you, you, you do it in a way where you're telling the truth and you're getting the releases you need and you're getting the agreements you need and you do the shows. Uh, but in this case, I feel like it was an abundance of caution. Uh, there was a, you know, there was a, 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 gen, a gentleman involved who was mentally unstable and threatening to harm himself, to be honest. And, and uh, it just became, you know, let, let's, uh, let's yeah. shelve it for now. And yeah, when when someone threatens their life, that kind of, even though there was no legal obligation to not do the show out of a moral standpoint, it was just felt what we do. That would look bad if the guy actually killed himself. So. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly it, Burrell. We we were we're legally, uh, you know, we're we're cleared to air the episode. Uh, but it's it, like you said, it's a, it's a it's a moral decision um, more than anything else. So um, if, we, if we wait long enough, we can air the episode. Yeah, frankly, I'm more surprised when I I got the call to do this show. You know, two years ago, and I wasn't sure we would find enough stories of siblings committing homicides together um, that, to have an entire series. And we did 10 episodes in the first season. Uh, and then we got picked up for a second season, and we just did 12 more. And now, believe it or not, we're, we're researching for a third season. You know? And um, these stories exist. It's Some good. of them are 30 or 35 years old. We generally don't go older, you know, because we want to talk to people who knew about, who remember it, you know. Yeah. So I think the oldest one we did was from 73, and uh, and that was, you know, that's pushing it at that point. Yeah. There's there's dozens more uh, that we just, that there's not enough, you know. Intrigue, yeah. Yeah, enough of an investigation to sustain, a, you know, 44 minutes of television. Um, you know, we, we find probably... We, we use probably one out of every 15 we find. Right, because the other so, ones, there's the smoking gun with the guy standing there when the cops arrest him. There's no investigation or something. Exactly, yeah. Any true crime story, you have to have something to, to fill the pages or fill the time. If you say, we caught him standing there with a gun in his hand. Well, that settles yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. And, and then there's the other version where, uh, you know, there's no solution. You know, there's no there's no ending. And um, that could be just as tricky. Uh, yeah. you know, Do you run into many fun. of those where you have siblings accused but never resolved? Uh, you know, not really, because I think generally um, those are not as publicized and we're doing our research based on news news articles that are online and stuff so um i think we've come across a couple of those and of course there the, the most recent ones haven't been adjudicated yet so we have to wait for those to you know the cases to clear um but you know i've had some experiences in my life where or in my career i should say when i've found out about stories and I've looked into them, and I've decided, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to take this on because it's not solved. Um, yeah. 
matter of fact, the Golden State Killer was one of those. You know, the, uh, what was it called? Gone in the I'll be gone in the dark. The time that it was Pat Oswalt's wife was writing the book, and, and uh, the case was unsolved. The guy, the Golden State Killer, was was out in the loose, and no, it was an unsolved mystery. And I said, you know, that's I, I don't want to take on this project because it's an unsolved mystery. And then, of course, using DNA, they caught the guy like two years later. Uh, and HBO did it, and it became a really big, successful program. The other one's tricky is is when people who are wrongly convicted. It's mixed for a fascinating story, but then again, you already know the person's going to be get set free. Hopefully, those are those are tough. The good thing about those is that, in a way, it's you know they're sort of depressing because the, the people spend all that time in prison, but then there is some light at the end of the tunnel. You know, if they're being released, and, and it, it, there's also we, we've experienced a lot of times where. Um, you know, friends of the killers um, or family members, they'll think that their loved one is innocent, yeah. you know? And they, they agree to talk to us on the show and do an interview, and we have to be very clear with them and say, look, this is not a show where we're trying to, uh, you know, set your loved one free. You know, we, we're telling this, this story uh, through the perspective of law enforcement, you know, and they were found guilty in a court of law, and you, you can you can say that you believe they're innocent, and we'll put that on the show. But we're not gonna we're not coming at it that way. And, and you know, I like to be honest with people, I'm not you know get them thinking that this show is gonna free their loved one because it's not the not the idea. Just, yeah. you know, we're in a situation right now where Frank and I are working on a book where we happen to believe that the fellow who was convicted was innocent, and there was oh, some, really? and there was some hanky panky in the trial where the appropriate defense was not used, which was an entrapment defense. And there was a lawyer who kept saying, why aren't we using the entrapment defense? This is obviously entrapment. And yeah. the other attorney was going, shut up, shut up, and fired him. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just the whole thing is just really bizarre. And that attorney has told, will talk to us as well. Uh, so we're, while the person was convicted and has been in prison for 18 years, they do come up for parole a year from right now. And uh, mm -hmm. so we're just going to present it as what people say and what happened in court. Let people draw their own conclusion. But honestly, we are going to weight it towards how we see it, which is the high mm -hmm. possibility that this fellow was innocent and wow. was basically set up. And why? Why was this person set up to take the fall for this crime? And there was a reason. And uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing your book. Yes, so am I. Because, uh, <laughs> Frank's been working real hard on it. <laughs> That's uh, a great, great you know, thing about, you know, uh, finding someone as good as Frankie does all the heavy lifting now. At my, at my advanced age. <laughs> he says, says we're like a band. He says uh, he's bass and drums. He lays down the band track. And then I come in and play lead guitar. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. I love that. Have I you just, run across a, a story that you wanted to do but weren't allowed to? Well, um, you mean what, weren't allowed to for what reason? For whatever reason. Uh, the, uh, the network said no, uh, legal uh, wrangling, whatever the reason was. You know, you weren't allowed yeah. to go proceed. Well, you know, but one of the simplest reasons that, that Oxygen will decline a story is if it's been done already on ID or, or on Oxygen, you know, like within like the last five years, you know. Because um, like I was saying before, 
there's not that many of these sibling stories. Like there, when you when we've been digging really deep and we've been finding more and more. But when it's, when we started season one, you know, we started finding a few of these stories. And then we realized there was a show on ID called um, Evil Twins. <laughs> and, you know, they had, and I think in the course of six seasons, they had done like 36 stories. And, you know, that covered a lot of what we were finding already. So Oxygen said, you know, hey, we don't want to be doing stories that, because, you know, the true crime fans, as you guys know, true crime fans, they watch everything. Yep. And they know everything. So, you know, you could be, two or three minutes into a story and you look on Twitter and they go, oh, I saw this on ID, you know, a couple of years ago or something. And if Oxygen, the executives are looking at that, they, that, you know, that's problematic. They don't really want to do that. So that's the one reason they get shot down is if a story's been done, you know, if it was done like, you know, nine years ago or something like that. Um, that's, you get a better shot then, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're doing a fresh take on it. You know, I, I'd say that 80% of our stories were new and 20% were, had been told before in other forms, maybe 70, 70, 70 30. Now, when, um, uh, I noticed that Mom Said Kill, uh, which is a book I did, was adapted twice uh, on TV in like, the same year by two different true crime shows, which I thought was really peculiar. And yeah, then, and those were those were scripted versions, right? No, those were uh, you know that same formula that uh, ID uses all the time. You know, the, heads and you know the actors in the background that don't say anything, playing the part. Right, right. You got to pay oh, twenty five dollars to be. <laughs> all right, right. Like the other thing that Oxygen they really want, and you know each network is different, but Oxygen really wants the investigative driven stuff. So, you know, we we might find a story that has great intrigue with great psychological intrigue between siblings um, and the, the circumstances are unique um, and, and but the investigation might not be that beefy uh, and they might say no to that you know they might say look we need more of an investigation for this our, our viewers want to play along they want to they want to watch they want to figure it out with the people even though we're telling them in the title yeah. <laughs> so siblings you know um, it should give, that should be that. a clue right there. Exactly. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting show because we every episode has like a five minute or roughly segment, like at the end of the first act, where we talk about the siblings. We tell their we tell their biography. You know, the so and so brothers were born in you know such and such place, and they grew up, and this is how they got into trouble. And then we just sort of remove that. We go back into the story of like, well, who do we think did this? You know, we had to figure it out. It's more about like how are the how are the cops going to figure out that these siblings did it? On Dateline, yeah. and I'm sure you've watched that one. That there's always like a twist ending. Like you don't know who did it until the very end. You're not quite sure. You know. Yeah. And that must be difficult for them to find ones where maybe they have to beef up the red herrings. I, I think they do that, Earl, and I think. You know, one of the things I don't like to do personally is if someone's innocent, you know, I don't want to make it seem like they might have done it. You know, it's, I mean, I, I know you need red herrings and stuff, but I think that's what that's what Dateline does is they, they sort of, they really lead you down two roads. You're right. Um, and, 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 and it might not be fair to everyone involved. You know, yeah. at the end Wait of the a day, second. I, I was innocent all along to make it look like I did it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or even, or, and, and sometimes they're, they're making people look suspicious. They're not even suspicious. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to be, 
you know, innocent at the end of the day. But it's, and, but, and it's an, but it's another thing to be like, yeah, the police spoke to someone, and then you're presenting it as not only did they speak to them, oh, they, they were a person of interest. And then, you know, and then you're elevating to, well, they were actually a suspect. And it becomes like, well, that's, you know, how close to the truth do you want to stay on these things? I, I want to stay as close to the truth as possible. Well, yeah, but this is television. <laughs> right. right. And if somebody leaves the uh, episode halfway through, yes, they, they, they are. They have a completely wrong impression. And, and again, we, you know, that goes back to our whole legal points that we have. We have lawyers, and they watch the shows, and they ask us questions, and they say, you know, is this person, you know, a is this person alive? Because, <laughs> as you guys know, if someone's not alive, they don't have any rights. And you could say they were the main suspect. <laughs> you know, you can they can't come back from the grave and haunt you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have the uh, same thing in, in uh, with the true crime books. I did one where uh, there was multi-generational incest, and you couldn't keep track of who in the family. There was like nine kids. You couldn't keep track of who was stupid who unless you had like a chart and a graph, you know. But yeah. almost all of that had to be taken out of the book because, as the lawyers rightly said, that isn't really germane to the murder itself. Right. And right. why humiliate these people by bringing up the fact that they're all sleeping with each other. Right. Our lawyers, in, in that kind of scenario, they would say, do you have proof that they were stooping each other? You know, they would say, how do you know that? And we would say, oh, well, it, you know, they said it, in the, it, it was a testimony in the in the trial, and here's the here's the trial testimony. And they'd say, oh, okay, that's, yeah. then you can put it in there. Yeah. You know? Well, um, we, we had that, but there wasn't any real reason, aside from the fact it was interesting, to bring yeah. it up of the other yeah. people of the other kids, we could mention it with the primary ones that were involved in the, the murder, but not the brothers and sisters. You know, and on that note, bro, I feel like true crime television landscape is is changing a bit, and you know because of the streaming services, and you know the, the a lot of the everything that I've done actually has been on cable, has been on Oxygen and ID and LMN uh, and A and E and uh, History, and these shows, they're 60 minutes, um, and they're like 43 minutes, 43 and a half minutes, you know, without commercials. So you really need to be, uh, you know, you need to be very trim on what details you're putting in there and choosing to pick it. You know, you have to really, uh, it needs to be tight. You know, the, it's not a lot of time to tell the stories. So what happens is through the process, it just gets, you know, whittled down and whittled down to really only the, it's only really what you need to tell the story. Right. Um, but if you're telling it on like Netflix or you know HBO Max or something like that, you have a little more time, and you can put you can t take your time and have all this extraneous detail that would get cut out in the cable version. Um, and you know viewers are starting to sort of, I mean maybe they, maybe they are they're going to start wanting more of that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. You know. Yeah, I, 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 go ahead, Bob. So, it, it sounds a little like um, regular television. Uh, sometimes you'll see the you know the one minute version of the ad, and then mm -hmm. sometime later you'll see a fifteen second version of the same ad. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems it seems like what you're going to end up having to do is you'll produce the long version, and you provide you know shortened versions from the long version. That, that's exactly right. Uh, as a matter of fact, we, we already do provide uh, Europe, like, longer versions. We already have, like, basically these cutouts, you know, that is, that are sort of added back in to the European version. Uh, and that, so our version's, you know, 43 and a half minutes, and then we have, like, a couple of minutes for them to be able to put back in and, 
make it longer because they have less, you know, they're obligated to have less commercial time on the air. Um, but that's an excellent point because, you know, for instance, I'm making a show for Oxygen, and, you know, Oxygen is owned by NBC Universal, and they're, they're, they now have Peacock, is their, that's their streaming platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one really knows, like, are, is all the Oxygen stuff going to wind up on Peacock? And if it does, then will there be commercials anymore? Or, you know, because when you have a subscription-based service, that, that pays for the commercials. You don't need commercials. Right. That's why Netflix and HBO and these places don't have commercials. Better save your outtakes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So is it like, do we, make, do we make two versions, like you're saying? Or do we, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the next, because it's all happening right now. You know, Peacock just came out, I think, right. two months ago. I'm amazed at yeah. how many new streaming services there are. There's HBO Plus and there's Peacock. Oh, and there's Discovery. This, you know, they can't all keep running uh, Andy and Mayberry. There's so many choices now that it's not really sustainable. You know, there's, go- there's going to be a sort of whittling down of, 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 these, of these streamers, you know, and of content. Because, you know, there's, just, there's like 1,500 shows or something like now right now that are being made. Like, and that's just, I think that's just scripted. Uh, so in the unscripted world, there's probably like another 2,000, you know, and it, it just, there's not that many people to be, you can't get that many eyeballs on on all those shows, you know, so the cream is going to have to rise. And the weird thing yeah, is, well, is there are some excellent shows on some of these streaming services that I never heard of until recently. And I, yeah. and I search through and I find some crap, and then all of a sudden there'll be just one show that's, wow, you know, I'm going to binge watch this one. You know, and I didn't even know it existed. One of the things that I find sad about the whole situation is that uh, net quality isn't necessarily going to win. Sometimes the two merge together. And other times that that, that yeah. happens. But a lot of times they, you know, someone's doing really good stuff, but the material just isn't appealing to the mass uh, audience mm-hmm. and doesn't find, uh, uh, you know, doesn't find any, any traction anywhere and disappears. Man, a few years later, they find it and they think it's wonderful. Well, yeah, that happens all the time. That's a good point. You know, it's like um, different streaming services. You know, like you have Criterion Collection. Yeah. Right? And they have all these, these classics. Oh, I love that one. And, yeah. And, you know, they're not going for the most popular movies. They're going for kind of the best, you know. Right. And hopefully enough people are members where they can sustain and, and keep going, you know. And then you'll have, like... I don't know, um, Apple movies, if you look at, you know, what's popular, they're all the, it's all the blockbusters and stuff. Um, but then, yeah, things do slip through the cracks. And, you know, I think a famous example is, I don't know if you guys watch the show Freaks and Geeks. Do you remember that show? Yes. Which one is it? Yeah. Freaks and Geeks. Oh, yeah, Freaks, Freaks and, and Geeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was only on for one season, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then it got canceled. It was on, I think it was on Fox originally. Or, I mean, not originally, but, it was only it was on Fox one season, and that show has been. It just kind of fell through the cracks in terms of it didn't pick up an audience. It didn't have time to find that audience, and it went away. And it and it it, 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 it now it's like you know bigger than cult classic status. It's you know it's it's uh, the, the cornerstone of a lot of people's you know favorite shows, uh, and it's it's the kind of thing that you know had it been a little bit different maybe if it was on if it was a streaming service this time then it would have gained more word of mouth and it would have had more seasons and who knows how it would have been but you know, at the end of the day that show is a, is a great show and and uh inspirational inspirational to many and it, it only had one season there's um i think it's a sign of the uh i need it you know now uh 
culture. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are TV shows from the past that had abysmal ratings the first season, but the studios um, kept held on. Yeah, um, they gave them, gave them room to uh, grow. They don't do that anymore. Another, <laughs> Same thing know. with recording artists. If you don't have mm-hmm. a hit with your first uh, album or second album, you're done. They don't invest yeah. in the uh, maturity of the artist. The other interesting yeah. thing is, I mentioned Bob Dylan as, a, as an example. He was saying that, in his opinion, Shot of Love album, he thought was every bit as good or better than uh, Highway 61 Revisited or Bringing It All Back Home, and yet it didn't get any traction. But if you go back and listen to it now, you can go, yeah, that really is a great album. Yeah, you know, I don't even know that Bob Dylan album. I'm going to have to look at I'll have to go back and look at it. One of my favorite Dylan songs on it, which is The Groove Still Waiting at the Alder, which sounds as, just as if it could have come off of Highway 61 or, or Blonde on Blonde. Uh, you just never know where you're going to find a great uh, great tune or a great TV yeah. show. I really liked, uh, there was a show called Bloodlines that... Uh, yeah, yeah, I liked that too, yeah. And, you know, the... the uh, it was too expensive to produce. And mm-hmm. they were supposed to do, what, uh, 10 or 13 final episodes, and they wound up not being able to afford to do it, and they had to wrap the whole thing up real fast, <laughs> early. And surprisingly, they did a great job wrapping it up early. I was impressed. Because sometimes the final show of, the, of a series won't cut it. You know, it'll be a disappointment. But that one... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and sometimes they don't, they, they don't even... They don't have the opportunity to have a, an ending because they get canceled, you know, at the end of a third season when they think they're getting season number four or something, you know, yeah. and, and then it's just like, well, that's it. It's not ending. There you go. Or you could um, have a situation where you have a high-rated show, such as when uh, NBC had Brett Maverick with James Garner was their highest-rated show on the network, and it was canceled <laughs> because they, uh, uh, Grant Tinker, I guess, wanted to urbanize the network. And so he canceled the Western they had, even though it was the highest-rated show. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, so they were they were positive they'd be renewed because they were the highest-rated show, but they weren't. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course, one of the most popular examples of a show not doing well its first season and, and becoming a huge hit is Seinfeld. Apparently, Seinfeld was, was, like, on the verge of being canceled after the first season. True. When I started in True Crime, uh, I was working on the first 48. You know that show on A and E? It's um, it's a present tense show where you're in the moment, you know, and you're um, you're you're sort of you know you're with the detectives as they're examining, the, as they're investigating the crimes. Um, the thing that surprised me, I guess, in that in that realm, uh, was that a lot of most cities in this country, because I went around to a lot of different cities around the country, uh, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Memphis, um, Detroit, um, and I'm from New York. And now I live in LA, so I realize that there's a lot of a lot of similarities uh, across the country, uh, socioeconomically, um, where crime is, is sort of happens in, in uh, you know pockets. Um, and I realize that you know there's there's bigger issues at play. Um, that I, growing up in New York and only experiencing that, I didn't really realize it's actually a, a more of a you know nationwide thing. I guess it's more of a sort of a obtuse answer, <laughs> but uh, that was what I—that was the first thing I learned. And I and I can tell you one. The second thing I learned was, or that I realized more and more, is that and this goes along to the fact that you know some of these stories do get done a couple of times, two or three times. You know, 
is that these, it's very rare. You know, it's actually, we live in a very safe society and the chances of any of us getting murdered, knock on wood, uh, is pretty slim. You know, um, unless you're involved with, unless you're directly involved with people who are doing really bad, dangerous things, you know, drug dealing or some kind of, uh, you know, illicit activity, um, or if you're, if you're hanging out with people who are mentally unstable, who are violent, um, you're probably not going to get killed. You know, it's just the, the, the random ones are pretty, and they do happen. And that's why they're so scary because when they happen, then it, then it just, it's sort of a reckoning. Um, but that was the one thing I learned was like, Oh, actually, we're pretty safe. You know, it, it's it's counterintuitive. It's like you know, producing all these true crime shows. I realize that we're actually safer than you believe by yeah. seeing all of them on TV. Yeah, because people watch all these shows and they think, oh boy, it's really dangerous. It's a jungle out there. And the news, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, the one story that I that really did scare me that I didn't do myself is is the Night Stalker. Yeah. Uh, and and it, there's, a, there's a new telling of that now on HBO. I think it's on HBO. And you guys know that story, right? The, the, the Night Stalker in L.A. Right, right. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, or Richard, Richard Rodriguez, rather. Ramirez, yeah. Yeah, Ramirez, yeah. Oh, man, that, when I, I read that book, and that was the only time I was ever, I, I do this for a living, and I, I was reading that book, and I was actually making sure. You have a lock on your windows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. like seeing a psycho and then not taking a shower for 10 years. Yeah, exactly. That's one of those ones where that was totally random, and he was just going around, and any, anybody was essentially a victim. Yeah, the weird one was uh, Israel Keys, a guy who would uh, bury his kill kit somewhere mm-hmm. in the United States ahead of time. Yep. Like, you know, months, years, whatever. Like, say... He'd put it in Buffalo, New York. Then one day he'd go to Buffalo, New York, dig up his kill kid, and go kill somebody. Yep. I mean that's yeah. That was scary. you know I made a two I made a two hour special on him for oxygen. You know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was called um, uh, what was it called? Uh, I have to look it up. I don't remember. Method of a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, man, that you know, you know what, Burl, you just re- you just reminded me that was the, that was the only time I was ever really scared when I was making something, and that was that's exactly why because that's the that's the kind of person who like literally anybody, and he would fly around the country, like you said, he would just he would go to places and uh, you know find find a victim, find somebody who didn't have a dog. Uh, he'd go, he'd sneak out houses. And then, the, you know, the unfortunate thing also about him is he, he didn't tell everything he did and he wound up killing himself in prison. So we don't even know exactly how many victims he had. We don't know if, you know, if he was exaggerating because he was very coy with the investigators. He would never really tell everything. You know, they would try to get him. They, they, it, I think they know of eight people, but it could be at least, it could be up to 15 or more. It's like you Robert know. Lee Yates, the Spokane serial killer. They figured, what, they know of like 18, but then again, there were people he might have killed in Germany when he was there. Mm-hmm. Could have been up to 25 or more. And some of these guys, they, 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 they remember every single one and then love talking about it. And others, like Keyes, you know, he loved having this, the, the power over the investigators. And then, you know, the, then was, there's the, whatever that guy is who takes credit or blame, depending on how you look at it, for murders he didn't do. Oh yeah, can't yeah. remember his name, but you know he claims like four hundred. You know maybe he did four or five or whatever. But you know if it's unsolved, he'll claim it. 
Right. Like he's going to get an award. Right, yeah. <laughs> and well. then, then you have real crackpots. Like, have you ever read Dan Zupanski's book, uh, uh, Trophy Kill, The Shall We Dance Murders? Mm -mm. Uh, where this guy, his goal was to be known as the most disgusting, perverse killer in the history of Canada. That was his goal. Oh, really? And so he did the most disgusting things on purpose so he'd be known as the most disgusting. And at, that, and at that time, well, we have this law where you can't make money off your crime. You know, you can't murder people and then write a book about it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have that in Canada uh, until this guy. Oh, really? And so he gets hold of uh, uh, Dan Zapansky and says, <laughs> Uh, let's do this book about how I murdered this guy and had sex with his eyeball sockets and all this stuff. And it was just horrifying. I mean, it was a great book as far as Zapansky did a wonderful job. But as far as the story goes, the guy is so sick that you're just dumbfounded by how, did, you know, how totally sick the guy is. And, yeah. and revels in it. You know, <laughs> I, I'm going to be famous for this. One in particular, in the first season of Killer Siblings, we had these two brothers... Uh, it was brutal. You know, they, they became upset. They were teenagers, uh, 18 and 16 years old, the Beverly brothers uh, in Oklahoma. And they somehow beca and became obsessed with serial killers and, and mass shooters, mass killers, you know, and they decided they wanted to be, uh, you know, known as the, the most successful, you know, mass shooters, mass, kind of serial killer, mass killers uh, in the country. Uh, That's not they, an admirable goal, by the way, if you're listening. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I don't know. There's no explanation for it. It's just, uh, you know, it's mysterious. But they were not the best planners. Uh, and they got caught immediately, but they, they killed their family. You know, oh. it was just really brutal. Oh, man, it was just a nightmare. Um, but but they killed their family, and then, and then they got caught right after that. And they didn't have any plan. They didn't have any know-how, thankfully, because, they, you know, if they did, they could have, you know, killed, there could have been many more victims. Um, but that's the other thing, too, is one, one of the other things I learned uh, through, through my experience so far is that, you know, contrary to some of these movies where you see, um, like, like in a movie, like, uh, what's that movie, In the Bedroom? Remember that movie with Tissy Spacek and Tom Wilkerson? Uh, it, it's a good, it was a good movie. And it's like a justifiable homicide, you know, like they kill somebody. I can't, it was like, it was like getting revenge on this guy who killed somebody that they knew or something like that. And, you know, in real life, I have yet to come across a murderer that had a good reason for it. You know, I, there, I've been on so many of these shows now and I've never seen someone say, oh yeah, they did it because, you know, a reason that actually made sense that was like, okay, yeah, I see how they could have done that. It's all just because of either greed or... Uh, I, I've seen some of the most bizarre motives for murder that you could possibly... You couldn't even imagine so bizarre. Robert Henry in Tacoma was executed in the parking lot of his business by a guy dressed all in black with a black helmet and a sort of shotgun, murders him, broad daylight took 10 years to solve the case. The motive was that Bob preferred, uh, let's see what it was, flying lessons, no, flying lessons to sailing lessons or something. I mean, it's just bizarre. They got into a discussion at Christmas dinner with his buddy, this guy they knew that, you know, 
Uh, I'm taking flying lessons. Well, why don't you take skiing lessons or whatever the hell it was? So, I mean, something that absurd. And that's what he was killed over. Yeah. I mean, you can't even comprehend how anyone could, mine could go that way. It is baffling. You know, it's baffling for someone to do that. And then, you know, it's always a strange feeling. Burl, I'm sure you've interviewed some some killers, right? I have at least Um, one or two, yeah. Yeah, and it's really strange. I I always get the weirdest feeling. You know, I, I haven't done it that many times, but when I have, I've always felt like, you know, this person has has murdered someone before, you know, and they could at any moment they could try to do something, you know, they could snap and try to kill you. Know, yes, if yeah. If I'm in a, if I'm sitting in a prison, uh, you know, interview room and there's a guard outside the door, I'm like, this person can try to, you know, pick up the chair and and start swinging at my head. You yeah, know, I mean, like, did the, wasn't the plexiglass between you and the person? I mean, I've no, I've no. always had the plexiglass between me and the murderer. Thank you. No, there was there was one time. Actually, it was let's kill mom. Remember, it, it, uh, it was called Let's Kill Mom, and uh, I talked to the guy, uh, and I was in I was in one of those like I was in a prison kind of a cafeteria, uh, you know, me, him, and and uh, my camera guy, you know, and there was no one else in the room, and it was just like, you know, he was the guy was very um, he acted meek and sedated, and you know, didn't and, and he was kind of scrawny. Um, you know, and and I even said to the, I think I said to the camera guy, you know, hey, if he does anything, like I got your back and you got my back, and we'll just call the guard right away. But you know, um, I wasn't very concerned, but it it was more psychological. It was more just right. like the fact that someone could do that once for no reason. They could know? do it again for no reason. They could do it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had that uh, feeling when I uh, interviewed Rhonda Glover who murdered her boyfriend of 15 years, Jimmy Jost, for the book Fatal Beauty. And that was done about four times on TV, different shows. Uh, and she's nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. She didn't go for an insanity defense because she didn't want anybody to think she was nuts. Uh, so she's in prison for a long time, but she's nuts. And uh, the attention span of a gnat. And anytime <laughs> she'd start to get pissed off at me, i quickly change the topic. You know, and say something complimentary to her. And right away, her mind changed the channel. But I could see, just looking at her, when she get irritated with me because of my line of questioning, she would look at me, and, boy, I could see the daggers in her eyes. You know? Then I'd compliment her, and it was just like someone took a remote control and changed the channel in her brain. Wow. But, uh, and I came out of that. I mean, she was on the other side of plexiglass, and she wasn't going to do anything, you know. Mm-hmm. But I came out of there, and my daughter looked at me, and she said, Dad, she can't get to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she could tell that it kind of shook me, you know. Sure, sure. It does have an effect when you're talking to somebody like that. So how, how yeah. do you deal with the psychological aspects of all of this uh, heinous material? How do you face things? Yeah, how do you deal with that? I was told be prepared to cry a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I'm able to. I'm, I'm usually able to remove myself uh, from it when I'm not uh, directly involved with it. You know, um, I'm usually able to kind of separate, uh, you know, my personal life from the work. Um, you know, the minute I'm not able to, I'll, I'll have to do something else. I think because um, if I let this stuff get to me, man, it would. Uh, it would really, but you know, like I said earlier, I mean, maybe those are rationalizations, but I do feel like, you know, 
uh, generally the, the non-random ones, um, you know, don't, don't hang out with bad people who do bad things and you'll be fine. Um, the random ones. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, it's funny when you have a, I, I have a, a child and when the child, you know, the child is now seven. Um, but when he's, and I, and I'm confident that he's a, you know, not, not a serial killer, but you know, when he's like two years old, you know, you two year old kid. And if they bite another kid or something like that, and I'm thinking, you know, I have no clue that what is, how this guy's going to turn out. You know, right. he might, he might be, you know, uh, killing rabbits by the time he's six or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't know. Um, and so it did affect me that way probably because I was, I was viewing parenthood as like, you know, who knows? I, I, I feel like from doing these shows, you don't really have a control of how somebody's going to turn out. Um, you know, you talk to all these family members of, of people and stuff, and no one ever says like, "Oh yeah, I knew from a, from a very young age this person was going to," you know. Um, there was something wrong with him from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. also the difference is is I don't know how long you work on a particular story. I guess if it's a longer documentary, you're going to be there longer. But mm -hmm. for example, when I was writing my first serious true crime book, which was Murder in the Family, which I'm proud to say was a New York Times bestseller, much to everyone's shock and surprise. <laughs> uh, spent like over a year on that. A, mm -hmm. a year with the picture of the two little girl victims pinned to my computer so I remember mm -hmm. who I was writing about. And that's such a horrible, tragic story. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this kid, Kirby Anthony, murdered his aunt and her two little kids. Mm. And because uh, he was mad at his girlfriend. But it wasn't the first people he killed. He killed some people uh, before that. Yeah, and the yeah. and show you how weird people think. He murdered his aunt, murdered his two little kids. He murdered a girl, young lady back in uh, Idaho. And yet the only thing, oops, excuse me, the only, the only excuse me, I got a little problem with my microphone there. The only thing that really ticked him off did mind being called a baby killer by the cops. But what did bother him is that he'd also murdered a transsexual. He had. Mm -hmm. uh, a guy named Walter Nampageek, who dressed like a woman, performed oral sex on him, and then he found out that Walter was Walter and not Bonina or something, right? Mm -hmm. So he killed him. Mm -hmm. Well, when the cops mentioned that he had had sex with Walter, he would become outraged, just infuriated. You know, mm -hmm. that, that didn't bother him being called a baby killer, but that bothered him. Sure. What bothers me is we're out of time. <laughs> well, well, that was a fast know. hour, wasn't it? Thanks for joining us. Matthew Watts, watch yeah. Killer Siblings, even if I'm not on it. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. What's next? Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence, live in the Light of Lounge. I know you can see me, now here's a surprise I know that you have, cause there's magic in my eyes I can see for miles and miles and miles and miles and That I don't know about the little tricks you play And never see you 
I can see for miles and miles I can see for miles 